Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Halftime Orange podcast with me, your host, Brenton Weber. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Sam Kamani from Auckland, um, where I am. He's a podcaster. He's a two times Amazon bestselling author. He's the co-founder and CEO of Product Done, and he's involved with numerous enterprises. We are going to be um, discussing his journey today um, and um, some of the insights that he's learned from his very varied life um, that includes esports, software, business development, business consulting, and um, communication and authoring. So, without further ado, here's Sam with today's episode. Sam, welcome to the show. Um, so good to have you um, here to talk with me today. Um, how are you today? I'm very good, Brenton. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Great to be on your show. Yeah, well, you're a you're a you're a, a veteran podcaster, and I'm I'm just a, a a mere fledgling. I'm still trying to find my feet. I feel I still feel like I'm I'm crazy chaotic beneath the water and I'm trying to be all smooth and you know, knowing what I'm doing above the water. Have you got any, um, before we kick into it and we learn a little bit more about you, have you got three quick tips that you can pass on to any kind of learner podcaster that might be listening? Absolutely. Um, the first step is, is very cliche and it's just, you know, just be yourself and just let's have a human one-on-one -on -one conversation. And, and that's about it because you never know who would be able to relate to that because only you have the point of view of, of you. Only um, you have had the life experiences that you have had. So everyone, I think, has their own unique story and style that they bring into it. So, you know, just cherish it and, and enjoy it. And then the second thing is like, you know, just today I was talking with uh, one of my colleagues here that if um, someone had said to me um, three and a half, four years ago that I'd be hosting a podcast. Uh, for those who don't know, I am the host of Want Money, Got Money podcast, where I interview founders and investors and like tech startup founders, basically. So, so if someone had said to me three and a half, four years ago that I'd be hosting a podcast and thousands of people in 155 countries around the world would be listening to it, I would have said that, oh, there's no way, it's, it's, um, it's impossible. So um, the other thing that I learned from doing the podcast is that impossible is just an imagination of your comfort zone. So it's your own comfort zone trying to tell you that it's impossible because, you know, it's very comfortable in your comfort zone and it doesn't want you to go out of it. So you know, <laughs> yeah. just remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, the are three really good tips. It's it's funny that first one. So many people are trying to be what people expect them to be, you know, like the stereotype. But there's no uniqueness in being a stereotype. The other thing I'm learning is um, never to rely on technology to just pop itself up because my printer. You can probably hear in the background. My printer has just decided out of the blue to start cleaning itself. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That's not a problem. <laughs> 
Uh, the part of um, yeah, yeah. I, I think because you've you've got all the gear now. You are a you're a you're a you're a proper professional. Um, so operator today I'm not at my studio at home. I'm at work, um, and I've got all these different types of. I've got three different types of mic, and I'm just still trying it out. You know, there's always something to learn. Just like you, I'm learning still every day. I get to learn something and every time I interview and the person on the other side is also a podcaster, they teach me so many new things as well that, hey, you could do this, you could do that, all those sort of things. So yeah, so now it's good fun. Cool, man. And then, look, you've talked to us a little bit about podcasting. I'm sure we'll probably touch on that again. But why don't you tell um, the the listeners um, at home or in their car, a little bit about the the other things that you do because, good Lord, you're a busy man. Yes, I would love to share about first about a bit about my journey. So I came to New Zealand about 19 years ago and I went to Waikato University and studied marketing and all that. Um, after graduating, I did find it quite challenging to find a job or a role in my specialization or what I wanted to do. So what you do is, or what I, how I managed to get my first break was by just connecting with the right people and, and networking. And, and when you cannot find a job, go and build, make your own job. So that's what I did. Ended up running a business and, and growing it quite exponentially. Did that for seven, eight years and had my first financial exit in end of 2015 we had a um we had a brand that sold herbal supplements and we sold it online to us australia some parts of asia and just via e-commerce so that's sort of my specialty now is is growing um startups brands and acquiring users for them so part of the reason why i sold that was because I wanted to go back into tech, where tech is so much more scalable. So what I did was I joined an esports startup, and once again I grew it from eighty thousand monthly active users to three hundred thousand monthly active users in a span of about eight months. Took it to US, but was based in Silicon Valley for a short time, and then in twenty eighteen that company got acquired. Um, and that's when I got together with one of my friends here in Auckland and we started Product Done, where we build SaaS products, mobile apps and things like that for entrepreneurs. So people come to us with ideas and we help them bring those ideas to life. Apart from that, I am an author and I write books. So I've written The 30-Day Startup, which has been bought and downloaded on Kindle tens of thousands of times. And I've also written a book called Business in the Time of Corona, which is all about how you can pivot in times of disruption. And yeah, I go and mentor at hackathons, incubators, accelerators around the world and speak at events. So that's pretty much everything about me. <laughs> and you're, uh, you're, you're a father? Yes. Yes. Like there's, a, there's there's no excuse when when I, when I hear about what's happening in your personal life and how 
busy you are as a professional. It 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 really gives me um, inspiration. Oh, thank you. Know, you. How much I can pack into my life. So yeah, yeah, you're you're a busy man elsewhere as well, aren't you? But not not as busy as you. I know you've got four kids, <laughs> so <laughs> I've got two kids. So oh, um, that, that is, yeah. So I do have a bit more time there. <laughs> We've all got the same amount of time in the day, though, don't they? And I, I certainly, what, what inspires me about your story is just, I mean, you are, you are, you are so busy. Product Done yes. is a fantastic company. You, now, you work with a lot of founders. We're starting to do more and more work with founders as well at Halftime Orange. That's great. How well do you think founders um, these days are understanding their customers before they start their journey? Um, most founders... Um, unfortunately, are not even thinking about it. They're not even worried about their customer or solving their problems of their customer. All they're thinking of, or all they're thinking of, this is the early stage founders, a lot of them, all they're thinking of the product idea that they've got, their own idea, and they are self-centered with their idea that they want to bring to the world. So they are completely consumed with that idea and they just want that idea out and they just they are so convinced that once i build it everyone is just going to come they are not focused about their customer <laughs> they are not focused about the needs of their customer on solving the problems of their customer or anything that they should be really worrying about mm. what what sort of in, inhibiting factor to growth do you think they they're providing themselves when they're they're not seeking to understand their customer at that at those early stages. The the thing is that it's not even growth. The company just doesn't get off the ground if you don't understand your customer. Pretty much, um, they just fail to get a product market fit, and then they find all these excuses that oh, because we didn't have the right funding, or we didn't have this or that, or right team, or the right market dynamics, or all these things, but they have missed the first step, and that is understanding their customer and their customers' problems and needs and pain points, um, let alone everything else. So, yeah. It seems like such a fundamental building block. Absolutely. I mean, I, yes. you'd be the same. And I, I never had this, but I, I, was, I was quite late to the owning a company um, journey, and I've been in the corporate in corporate structure for most of my career and then working for some smaller companies along the way, but still in a, in a fairly traditional Adam Smith um, division of labour hierarchy, um, um, spreading things out. Um, but now I'm a business owner. I have a lot of people telling me about their business ideas. That's great. Um, and, and, and one of the questions that I always ask is, so what is the problem that you're you're solving, you know, and um, it's it's amazing how few people have, and and I can I can guarantee that every successful founder that I've seen can answer that question really well. Do you see the same thing out there? It sounds like you do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's you know you have to understand your customer and your customer's pain points and problems and and all those sort of things. Um, but yeah, so it is It is very, very different as you would have experienced working for a corporate compared to running your own business. There is a lot more responsibility and, and there is a lot more you do feel continuously like you are juggling like six, seven different 
sort of balls and you're on a unicycle and the unicycle is on fire and all the balls are on fire and your clothes are on fire. <laughs> so that's yeah. pretty much the Someone's trying to shoot you as well. And someone's firing at you with an arrow. <laughs> yes. So that is the day-to-day life of an entrepreneur. So you, you have to be ready for it. But on the same time, um, think of all the boring meetings you didn't have to sit through working for a corporate <laughs> all the meetings you have to plan to g- just go on that meeting to plan the next meeting where you will decide what to discuss in the third or the fourth following meeting <laughs> so it, it's just unnecessary waste of time and bureaucracy and with this there is a huge hierarchy and a huge sort of a structure where you have to negotiate and you never know who's the real decision maker if you sell to corporates you would understand that <laughs> um and there's 20 people who can um, there's only one person who can really say yes to a project and there's probably 20 people along the line in the chain who could say no. <laughs> so nothing gets done for a year and a half. In the meantime, you could have built a product and solved 10,000 people's problem in a startup. Yeah, yeah. Are we seeing, we're seeing I mean, New Zealand's full of startups. There's, there's a really, really exciting startup scene that um you know that I've been exposed to um out of um Emily Place um Shorten Street in in Auckland all of the the blockchain um community that's absolutely to be, that's yes growing there what an exciting develop what what an exciting position our um our blockchain companies seem to be in and anybody who who kind of is excited by that blockchain future there's so many incubators to apply for and so much funding out there because, of course, this is a technology that needs new ideas, that needs um, users, users on its on its own platforms. Yep, yep. Are you working in that blockchain environment with any of the... Any of your not not at the moment, but I go on other podcasts where they do talk a lot about esports and blockchain and all that. And I do work with founders as in just as an advisor on advising them on growth and user acquisition and things like that because of my past experience in esports and and building an MVP in the blockchain space and all that. So yeah. So I I am quite aware of the ecosystem, but I don't currently have a project in it. Oh, that sounds like somebody who needs expert advice should be reaching out urgently to somebody of Sam's capabilities to um, uh, to be able to advise in that space. Because I don't know about you, but I, I, I try not to um, – I, I have a, a competitive clause that I don't speak with any other direct competitive um, companies while I'm working with them. So I um, kind of like to just focus on one client per industry or one sector that they can get the, the, the most value, right? We're, we're working with so many founders. What are some of the more exciting or, uh, yeah, more exciting, interesting um, pain points that some new upcoming solutions are helping helping customers with in, in various different industries? So the, this, this founder based out of London, reached out to me two days ago and I had a good chat with him. He's building a platform called Hi Right Now. And I was really impressed with that platform. So what it does is it matches you with random other people in the whole sort of tech 
industry ecosystem all around the world. They have lots of events. You go on that. It's a bit like blind dating. So you will be just matched randomly with another person from another place in the world. And and you talk to them for six minutes and then you'll match with someone else. And it goes on for an hour. They match you with nine people um, with 10 second break in between. And for someone who is not going to as many events as I used to, because um, I'm naturally an extrovert. I naturally like meeting people and talking and all that, as it might be evident already <laughs> to you. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. So, so yeah, because of um, COVID and everything, all that is not there. So this was amazing. Um, I really enjoyed my experience and everyone there had been there. Like I was one of the newer people on that platform in that um, online meeting. Um there were so many people who were from who have been there a few times and they keep going on back again and again. So I think they are on to something. It's because I talk with investors and VCs. So one of the the VC introduced me to their founder, said that talk to Sam because if you need any advice or anything. And then I just joined the platform just to try it out. And it was very interesting, super interesting. I really enjoyed it, um, that one hour. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a look more into it. And I, I can see them um, solving this sort of uh, the net problem of networking in real life. Yeah, well, the, for an extrovert like yourself, the, that that's a. I'm, I'm a centrovert. I've found out. Um, I was discussing this. I don't think it's a it's a it's a type that many people know or have been introduced to. Like in all the work, you know, um, personal understanding work that we do in corporates, it's either you know how much of an introvert are you, how much of an extrovert are you. But there's a very well known large chunk of people that are very firmly centroverts. And those are people that I think like me, I can, I love being in a crowd. I love being with people, but I also really love being in my den on my own, focused on what I want to, you know, achieve and do. What I, what I, yeah, exactly. Um, with COVID, it's obviously, I think it's probably been harder on extroverts than than anybody, you know, introverts, it's actually been really good. I've had to adapt and 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 I'm really interested in this high right now. So so we as I said, we'll we'll link to the notes um so that people can can um check out that platform as well. Um but what what are the challenges that you've faced? Um because you're you're a massive traveler usually as well. I know you travel, yes, travel yes, extensively. Yeah. What other changes have you been going through that you know you now have pain points that you didn't have before? Okay, I'm not pain points, but I will tell you how um, COVID has helped me expand and grow and made me more effective. Mm. So, so last year, I thought that, you know, I used to go to lots of meetups and events and lots of places. So before 2019, I used to go as a participant and every time I used to come back home and then my wife used to ask, oh, how was it? And I used to say, oh, I knew everything. Like I could have said it. <laughs> I could have talked about it um, because I was going in my own industry. That's the field I know. So she, then she always used to always say, why don't you, why don't you then do it? So then I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then I started speaking at events and, and writing books and um, sharing. And I started getting really good feedback on LinkedIn and all that. So that's how my journey started as becoming a speaker and all that. So I 
now I mentor at uh, AUT University um, in their co-starters um, program. And I also mentor um, at um, Tewananga o Aotearoa, which is New Zealand's largest tertiary institute or university, you can call it. So I mentored there as well. And so I started speaking and an Eastern Institute of Technology and a few, few different places and started speaking to students and large groups of people. But when COVID hit, that stopped. So that kind of pushed me towards podcasting and going to different podcasts as a guest. And as soon as that happened, I could immediately expand um, globally. And so it's like one day I'm at a podcast in in Germany, the next day I'm somewhere in US, one day in Philippines, one day in India. So every day without doing spending the money and the travel, and they all have got their own audience. So that's pretty much what I do because of COVID, it expanded my horizons. It's pushed me into look, be more creative and look into this. And now I'm able to reach like, you know, 10 times more people than I was just reaching being just in Auckland. I was getting other opportunities to speak, whether it was in Dubai or India or Australia, but those were far and few and that there was a huge time commitment of going there and it would be, so I would be able to do only two or three, two things outside of New Zealand because having kids and everything. Um, But now, um, I am able to do, you know, all around the world every single day, pretty much. I have something like this planned somewhere. So, so in fact, um, as ugly as it is um, with the whole situation globally with COVID, it forced me to go out, think outside the box of what I was doing and expand my horizons. So it's, it's seeing yourself, your, yourself as the customer. There, how, you know, I see the thinking, and I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to do it more and more with myself. I actually, I actually think customer experience theory is um, applicable, like all good scientific principles. It's applicable at every single scale, and I think that also includes it um, on a scale of of our own personal self. Because I'm trying to, we 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 have the most intimate relationships with ourselves, um, as you say, especially when we're being authentic. And we're being real to ourselves, and we we understand where we're why we want to get somewhere and where we want to go. In the personal improvement space, I've read a lot recently about um, it's not necessarily about doing everything better; it's about doing less things badly or making fewer mistakes. If you can focus on yeah. the things where they're not quite to our liking or to our customer's liking, if we to, to a customer experience or to, a, or to an employee experience, then we can level up in those pain points and we can achieve much more by focusing on finding solutions. It is, a, it is I think sometimes people don't want to focus on the pain points because it can appear too negative. But if you're a approaching them with a solution finding mindset then the power of dealing to those pain points like in your case not being able to get face to face with people yeah there are so many solutions for you to do that actually probably even more effectively and at a higher scale and with with more impact yes absolutely 100 percent and since then you know i've been on 
Facebook Live, YouTube Live, LinkedIn Live, all sorts of platforms, all and even Twitch, and where people have just interviewed me and that has gone live. And I have even like absolutely no idea. I know that the LinkedIn Live was just from the numbers was getting two thousand views, but they're from all around different parts of the world and. And it's someone else's audience. I'm just going there because they're interviewing me and it had 600 plus comments and stuff. So I know that it is real. It is real engagement. Um, it would be very hard to get events like that every single week, week on week to speak at and have that sort of large impact. Um, but, you know, COVID has forced me to adapt this creative approach. If not for COVID, I would not have done that and I would have just kept doing what I was doing. So, you know, that's what that's why I'm going to challenge myself and, and still look around and see, is there even a better way to do the same things that I'm doing currently to get even higher impact? So, yeah. We still miss those face-to-face -face moments. I mean, you and I were actually planning on doing this face-to-face, -face, which I still think we should we should do at some point. Oh, absolutely. We'll still do it, yes. We were brought together by – it's weird because we're, we're very close to each other. You know, we're both we're both in Auckland. Um, you're only the second person that I've spoken to out of our nine podcasts that's been within Auckland. So, again, a really, a really strong indication about how this media opens up. Yeah. You're also an author now we've touched on okay i can see how the journey um was a natural progression you know from going to these events to starting to get more involved in these events again is the authorship is the authoring is the the writing of a book um an extension of of that just how do how do we it's how do you at scale get your ideas out to more people more efficiently Partly, and you know, I would say that it's not only an external thing. I would, anyone listening, I would urge them to put your thoughts down on paper and write a book for yourself, even if you're not going to ever publish it. Because the whole process of structuring your thoughts, putting it in, in, in a different chapters and different form, it will help you clarify things for your own self. And, and it's just, it's it's an amazing exercise. So, um, and over time, you will get faster and faster. So, and it doesn't take that long to write a book. So my first book, I wrote it in 30 days and it's called the 30 day startup. So, you know, the whole phrase of eat your own dog yeah. food or <laughs> practice what you preach. Yeah, for sure. So going around that, that took only 30 days to write, but then editing and three times getting it proofread and getting it laid out and design and all that took another two months to go. So in total, it took three months. The second time I went to write a book, I thought, how can I refine the whole process and produce something much faster? So the second book, I wrote 23, 24,000 words in three weeks while working full time and doing all the other things I do, like playing tennis and spending time with kids and all that. And Is that just really being rigorous and um, disciplined with your time management to, to, to carve out specific times each day to focus on the book? Yes, that's about it. Just carve out specific times of the day. I, I'm happy to run you through my timetable if you want, <laughs> um, <laughs> what I did. 
to to do that to achieve that and and then three weeks and then about a week to finish it all off but i made like a what do you call like a conveyor belt style mass production style yeah. thing that as soon as i finish a chapter the whole folder was shared by the editor and was shared by the proofreader and so as i'm writing it was being edited as i was as it was being edited then it was being proofread and as it was being proofread it was being laid out so everything was done concurrently and so the whole book took just 30 days from writing the first word to being published in amazon store so it doesn't take that long so now it only takes me month of my year so i'm going to write a book every single year and that helps me and i meet so many people like every day i meet three or four different founders or investors of startups and every day i'm hearing so many stories so i already have everything in my brain it just i have to just put it in a structure um so so it doesn't take that long again just i'm just sitting here being inspired but is the first step literally just deciding to do it to um like how much how much structure do you put into it prior to um starting i'm fascinated because i think what well, they say we've we've got a book inside each of us at least yes um, oh i guess i guess it's very similar to all the things that you've talked about you said about that comfort zone and about getting outside of your comfort zone i mean that really starts with that third level doesn't it it's like how you quieten down the voice that we've all got because all of us are insecure and all of us are worried about putting ourselves out there some of us let that take over but that's one thing i've learned recently is that all the people that are putting themselves out there who are appearing sure of themselves well they're just as nervous when they press publish as those of us that have been holding ourselves back right yeah yeah do, do you want a hint or a trick that will make you more productive or make anyone listening more productive that those tricks and tips and hacks always are, are, are super valuable so yes please okay so um people often um wrap procrastination in a fancy wrapping called planning so <laughs> right. so don't um misunderstand that you know like the thing is that um and the other rapper they rap procrastination in is called perfectionism oh definitely so the first first thing is not going to be perfect you're not going for perfection so all the planning you do all the thinking about perfection like being the perfect sort of the first book you think of all that is is just another way for your own mind to trick yourself into staying in the comfort zone and it's just another way of procrastinating the real magic happens when you take the pen and write that first word the real magic happens when you open that word document and start writing and that's the only thing that matters everything else you do is just fluff is just your own your everyone's own excuses to to procrastinate <laughs> um yeah. just the same thing as as making like buying a fitbit downloading a exercise app watching a video on exercising on youtube making a plan calendar all that all that is not going to make anyone fitter or lose weight when you really go and run that mile lift that weight that's the only thing that matters so put all your energy 
in focusing on the action and not anything else and that's it <laughs> um, so true it's so true i know that my my most productive times during the day are the first few hours of the day yes where i am i feel i feel like i do stuff it's before I really start my, the, my my thinking and planning starts happening in the second half of the day now, but I know that my productivity in the second half of the day is way lower because of that, because I get caught up in those um, in the pro. It is an it, it's you're definitely right. It's a type of procrastination. The thing certainly the thing that held me back in my early career was around the perfectionism. Um, it wasn't thinking that I was perfect. It was thinking that I had to achieve perfection for it to be worthy. And that also leaves you feeling disappointed because, of course, perfection is so difficult to, to reach. If achieve, not yes. The, there is a way to reach perfection, and it is by by doing. So just like if you are learning music, and you think that, you know, I'm never going to do it until I play my magnum opus or, you know, I create my masterpiece, you would never be able to get there. It's like if you want to bench press, I don't know, 200 pounds, you have to start from somewhere. And the only way to get there is by practicing and doing. So if you want to write a book that is really perfect, you have to write some crappy pieces of work. If you want to be the best you know, basketballer, you have to take some shots that won't go in and that's how you learn from it. And that's the difference I have seen between good founders and like they are not worried about failure. Failure is a means to reach perfection. So um, the other day I was interviewing um, an investor or a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley and I asked him, you know, what's the difference you see between the tech startup ecosystem in Silicon Valley and rest of the world. And he says that the one main thing is that failure is not only accepted, but failure is celebrated, that you are willing to go out of your comfort zone and fail and be all right with it and try again to learn from that and, and do things better. So celebrate failure. And you cannot celebrate failure if you're just focused on perfectionism <laughs> and, and and building that perfect product or perfect service. So, so yeah. I was definitely instilled perfectionism when I was a youngster. Like my dad was definitely on it. He was, a, he was a, um, in building and about building big um, construction projects, big construction projects, things like uh, courthouses, um, things that were government government built. Um, and he was always very particular about, you know, all the bricks had to be exactly right. You know, so so for him, perfection and detail was really important to his job. But being brought up in that environment certainly made me far more nervous of failing because he valued perfection so highly as opposed to, like I have four kids now, I was an only child, I can't help but I can't, I can't pick up everything that my four children do, they have to fail and I welcome their failures and, and, and I think it's really, it's probably one of the most important things that we could teach our, uh, the next generations is that it's okay to, to stuff yeah. up. I have, I have a thing that I want to say about that, that yes, 
um, you know why Silicon Valley has only been successful in software so much more than other projects is because software and and all these sort of things, whether it's social media or or any of these creative things, they are very different to physical products. Yes. If you are, and that's why Silicon Valley has not been successful in so many of these other other things because it doesn't work. Yes. So software is one of the few things which is shipped unfinished and it will never be finished. It's always a work in progress. It's always got bugs and things. You fix it later. You don't worry about it. You fix it as people report bugs and and all that. So which is very, very different way of thinking. And so, yes, in some things you do need that, um, that, perfectionism when it comes to to building real world things or medicine or craftsmanship yes but even there at early stages say you have a new building you are designing there is no harm in putting nine different completely out of the world designs and having eight of them be rejected by the customer because they are so out of the world but there might be once there will be a customer who would accept something and it will create your mark like Zaha Hadid or someone, you know, I don't know if you know her, like the architect, um, the the Iraqi architect who's like well-known all over the world, um, built amazing structures and stuff all around the world. So yeah, so it, it, it all, it all depends on the industry, but for most people us like us in the service industry and who are trying and building new software type products, um, yeah, failure should be celebrated um, or, or any of the creatives, whether it's an artist or sculptor. Who are... We're not, I'm not saying it should be aimed for and <laughs> it shouldn't be the, you know, but 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 certainly, um, yeah, you know, the the old the old truisms are there for a reason. But, you know, you do need to you do need to break some eggs to make an omelette. You do have Absolutely. to um, you have to learn your craft along the way and you have to make mistakes. And I'm not sure that we've uh, well. There are some people who are brought up that way. There are some who are not. So I think um, I think schooling is much better at welcoming that. I think I've mentioned it on yeah. the podcast before, but when I was introduced to um, failure, um, fail being the first attempt in learning, that's something my five-year-old was taught in her first year. And it was like, yeah, dead right. That's what they need to be. It's, don't be scared of failure. Don't aim for failure, but don't be scared of failure because failure yeah. is, is is a very, very important. I'm reading a book at the moment that reminds me of all of this. I don't know. Um, I can't remember the author, but it's Masters of Doom. And it's all about the, um, the guys behind um, the Unreal Engine and Doom, basically. Um, the, the early days of uh, of gaming software, you know, when I I, I was there as a as a gamer, I, I've, my family would never have thought that there could there were industries coming up um, where my love of gaming could could have given me a passionate future in. Um, but those guys were certainly not afraid of failure. Yes. They tried anything. They tried anything and everything while they had that exuberance of youth. And achieved great things that changed the world in many ways. Yep. It is not only exuberance of youth, but it is an exuberance of mindset. So you can have that mindset today or or in 10 years' time or 20 years' time. So there's nothing stopping you. You're dead right. I, I, I feel that way. I feel younger now. 
than I'm 46 now and I feel younger than I've felt in 15, 16 years because I've really got something that I'm passionate about. And it makes amazing day that childlike wonder at the stuff that you're 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 learning. Can I ask you a question about CX? I would love you to. Yes, definitely. Yes. What do you see as the as the biggest mistake um, startups or, or tech startups make when it comes to CX or customer experience? Um, I mean that very that very initial building block um, is so important, but that's 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 something that it doesn't take very long. Like when we thinking like a business and thinking like a customer are two very different things. Yep. And very few people think like customers. They look at their business and they think about it from from a business perspective. I also think that that's why some people in business believe that the ethics of business need to be different to, they can be somehow different. They're more fluid. We don't need to treat each other quite so well in a face-to-face to get the transaction. Um but when we when we bring it back to the customer and we bring it back to the human to human interaction, then all of a sudden we get a completely different view of the world. So, for instance, um, good example: if I asked you to position your, put yourself in the position of a, um, a, I'm sorry to any listeners if I've done this on the podcast before, but this is a good example. Um, it is um, if you're a cinema owner. Now, what are the key things that you're trying to achieve as a cinema owner? Yeah, so there would be um, engagement, repeat purchases, and adding add-ons to the ticket to make more revenue per customer. So there'd be few few different things that I would think most cinema owners are trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're coming down, I mean, the engagement thing's interesting because there's a lot of business owners that won't even talk about engagement. But what they certainly will think about is those other parts of the business that you talked about, which was ticket sales, um, hot dogs, Cokes, popcorn sold. Well, those are the add-ons to increase revenue per customer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, if I asked you um, to now tell me why you go to your do you go to the cinema very often? Or yes, I. I mean, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Think about your favourite cinema. Um, where? What? Why do you go to that cinema? Um, okay, so for me now the reason is different. It's near home. Mm-hmm. It's near home. Yeah. Yep. You're certainly not going there to increase um, uh, ticket price, ticket um, sale numbers. You're not going there to 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 buy more, um, to supply your family with coke and popcorn. You know, so I know lots reasons. of friends and lots who would go to the countdown or pack and save next to it, and then buy chips and drinks from there, and then take them in, and because <laughs> it's so much cheaper, or buy lollies and things like. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. why. So, so why do you go to that cinema? That apart from it being close to home. To be entertained, I would imagine, to escape your busy business life and and to, to to escape into a fantasy world for a bit. Yes, because cinema is different because you people don't use their phones or you also you don't use your own phone, so you are more likely to pay attention and to the movie 
and absorb more of it and be more um, in that world when there is continuous interruption at home at home most people these days watch tv with two or three devices so they have tv on they have laptop in their lap and the phone as well and then they're doing three things at the same time so people don't really pay attention and when you don't pay attention you cannot properly submerge yourself into that imaginary world and that's why cinemas always have a much better sort of an experience um, of that movie. Yes. So, so, so all of your reasons have been really around, I mean, that if we, if we do the whole, you know, ask a why and another why and why is that the case, it's going to come down to you wanting to escape reality for a period of time and escape society and just, being you in your fantasy world. Well, if a, if a business focuses on doing that better than other cinemas do, well, their yeah. business outcomes, all the things that are important to them, they will sell more tickets. They will sell more Coke. They will sell more popcorn. And that's that, that's the theory. If, if a founder can start off thinking about the customer journey of the person that they are trying to reach with their solution. If they can understand what the outcome is that they are a part of producing, they can often find we they can often find pain points that somebody who's been operating in that customer journey all along just misses. So a good example again would be a, a company called Oasis, O-A-C-I-S from Sydney, a guy called Matt Lee. Um, again, sorry to those that um, I'm repeating myself on the podcast. He was actually on our second show. But his um, product is amazing. It is basically they identified that the biggest pain point in air travel is luggage. It is when you get to the airport, what you do with your luggage, how you get it on, how it's checked in. When you pick it up at the scrum, um, that luggage creates problems on the journey to and from the airport. That luggage creates problems for the airport companies who have got to manage all these people. It creates problems for the the travellers who are walking past people with ski equipment or um, diving gear or golf clubs. And so what they said is we will create a concierge service that picks your bag up and potentially you from wherever the bag needs to be picked up from. And you won't see that bag until you get to the airport. It means that they can communicate when you need to be at the airport better. They can um, give you options for upgrading a lot easier. Um, They can give you time back in the morning. So if your flight gets delayed, they can be in contact with you and get you to the airport at the required time, which is better for everybody at the airport. So just by thinking about that, that the, the, the worst pain point that air travel has, they've been able to create a very powerful startup that they know is going to succeed because, God, if you could get rid of the bag aspect of your travel, you know that your journey would be so much better. You would have more time. You know, that, why, do you, why do you, in a pre-COVID world, what's your reason for going to a conference or you know air travel international air travel for business what's the purpose what's the outcome Um, meet people face to face also i like traveling and new experiences new people new different ways of doing things 
let me give you an example because you shared about the bag thing i will share example of two different countries around the whole bag thing and how they solve just like the this australian guy from oasis hong kong you can check your bag at the downtown sort of train station or outside your hotel so so pretty much say your flight is in the evening you have to most hotels you have to check out by 10 or midday or your flights at midnight what do you do you don't want to carry around your you know 20 kg um luggage around everywhere <laughs> so you go to the downtown train station or somewhere or some places even at the hotel they have the terminal and then they help you check it in and then that's it you don't have to go to the airport till 7 8 pm in the evening and you are just free you are free for the rest of the day so that's amazing so then a whole lot of time back yes yes more time, of time. more time to meet more people all the things that you said were important exactly. to you have yes. been improved in some way Yes and then the second side is um in India in Mumbai when you reach or when you are going the airport is like super busy it's like very very crowded and they just built new as soon as they build new it immediately gets full <laughs> so they build new domestic and then it got immediately full they build a new international and immediately got full so it's like it's super busy millions and millions of passengers um, every week probably i would say um i don't know the exact numbers but it's it's very um big and busy and then there's queues and everything so they have a service called pranam where they will come in a golf cart pick your family because i go with my family to india um, like one of my kids only six and he's been there four times already so we go quite often so they come and pick the whole family as soon as you get out of the plane the you know what's that gate that's connected um they they pick you up from there they even have a porter with them they carry even your carry on um luggage for you they have got the tags they get all the checked luggage they you skip all the queues everywhere because you've got family and you paid for this service and you go straight outside to to your car they take you there and and they put the luggage there you don't even have to see everything it's straight to your hotel and it's the same thing vice versa you, you get to access their special lounge once you go in you just sit in their golf cart and they worry about your carry on your checked in all your luggage everything taking you through the queues to everywhere they have two or three porters they come with you everywhere <laughs> um and make the whole thing so so seamless no waiting in queues for one or two hours everywhere or anything so it's amazing yeah well i th- i think you know this is exactly the sort of thing that oasis are doing but on a on a on a on a global level um as opposed by by um airport by airport city by city but but there again you know you see if if those airports they are adding so much value to their experience that you're having with them by really understanding in in the same way where the pain points usually are in air travel like the the getting to the airport at exactly the right time to me is is gold if i if i know that i'm not going to be and, and knowing where to go and not having to carry stuff as well but also i think if i was dealing on a on an airport by a, airport basis i may have some anxiety once i left the airport 
and I was flying from, say, Hong Kong to Auckland. It's like, well, what's going to happen here? By putting it in the hands of a global name that I can go, okay, well, it was Oasis that picked it up from here and it's Oasis that are dropping off here. I think that gives me an element, an extra element of, of um, yeah, know, peace so of mind. Yeah, so both services were provided by, like, by the airport itself in conjunction with their tourism authority and stuff. Um, so, and I've used both these services multiple times and I'm, I've been like super happy and we always book these services. <laughs> and, and, and especially like, um, I don't know, have you traveled um, like long haul flights with little kids? <laughs> I have not for a while. I, I I flew to the UK and back again, or well, probably about seven about seven years ago with a four year old with with my daughter Scarlett. So yeah, that was pretty intense. We flew via Seoul, um, I think. No, we flew Sydney. No, Sydney, um, UAE, and London, and it was about twenty eight. Hours one way, thirty-two hours the other way. Yeah, yeah. So it is, it is very, very. Yeah, it is very (laughs) brutal. But when you have like, if you have multiple kids, and it is pretty much like um, transferring um, like high security prisoners from one prison to the other prison, (laughs) and we've all seen the movies, and we all know it doesn't end well. (laughs) So. So it, it is a bit like that. Good example, I think. I think there, yes. Yes. So when it's like a cart picking you up in a like a golf cart in the airport, and then they 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 drive like in Mumbai, it's like they drive really fast. The airport's very big; it takes ages even for the cart to drive around there. And the kids are like so happy <laughs> that they get to sit in this sort of a cart and, <laughs> yeah, and go around like. Uh, zigzag past all the foot traffic and stuff and so yeah it's, I it's, have uh, to say though, kids will be happy wherever I mean, that was I may have found that that long haul trip um extremely taxing but my daughter's got nothing but really exciting memories of this wonderful fun trip that they had so I think it's more the parent ex- the parent experience that we need to we need to improve yeah yeah very true so that that's great hey um before I go I want to hear a little bit more about um, business, the, the book about business in times of COVID, because it's so important to all of us at the moment. I mean, the word pivot tends to be overused. We use the word adapt a lot as well. Um, whatever word you're using, we're all going through the shared experience at the moment of um, an un, un, a lot of people that were potentially very certain of their future and now experience what we all are experiencing which is not quite sure what's around the corner so that uncertainty is is changing the outlook of a lot of people so tell us about your book and how it can help um those people that are listening uh, um, get through this year and whatever is to come so one of the key things that i've said in my in my book is about you know around pivots and how do you know if if you should, like the things that I mentioned in that book are how do you know whether you should pivot or you should just persist and wait out this time. Um, So one of the things I do say there is that, you know, don't be afraid of innovation 
go out and innovate and and pivot from your innovation. So I talk about the concept of innovation-led pivot, that if you innovate, you are going to end up pivoting whether you know it or not. So so keep innovating in your business. Um, for for example, it's like if Tesla keeps on innovating, it will become a battery company. You know, it will become an energy company. It will replace like petroleum companies and be the energy provider. So, you know, if you keep innovating, you will enter and disrupt all these other industries that even you cannot think about right now. So one thing is keep innovating. And the second thing, if your business is disrupted currently, then Think of your, instead of just having the knee-jerk reaction of let's just move online, think of what are your strengths and what are your assets. So for some people, their strengths and assets might be the customers they already have. So, you know, see what other needs they have and how can you fulfill them. It might not mean that you need to go online. It might be just that their needs have changed. But since you already have those customers on your database, maybe it's your team, maybe it is the investment, maybe it is the land that your business owns that you can repurpose and rehire it for something else. Maybe it is... um, Um, a kitchen that you have for a restaurant that's not being used. Maybe you can run some classes in a small space for a limited number of people. Maybe you can rent that kitchen out for just um, pick up and drop off sort of services, or or it could be um, renting it out to a university which runs courses on cooking and things like that. So, I mean, being a chef and all that sort of courses. So it could be any number of things. So think of your assets and strengths first and then think of pivoting from there instead of just taking a knee-jerk reaction and thinking that I should just go move it online or build an app. Because if you do go online, there might not be a need for it or you might be in a completely uncharted territory. For example, there is this... um, bar in Sydney, they made craft beer and different sort of niche specialty type alcohols. And they had a um, very sort of well-founded pub, 25 employees, and and they were doing really good business until COVID hit. And, you know, the knee-jerk reaction would be, oh, we'll just start selling it online. But, you know, what they did was they stopped and they thought that, look, we make alcohol and hand sanitizers are 99% alcohol. Our key strength here is the ability to manufacture, to process all these things because they already were bottling like craft beer and different things and they had very good branding team and all that. So they made this specially branded really fancy because most of the hand sanitizers you look at them they're all in that plastic bottle they look really cheap they are all like so they made like really nice uh scented and all sorts of extra things in it and they made this sort of hand sanitizer and it pretty much flew off the shelf that they not only had to keep all their 25 staff they had to hire 35 more people to help them because they grew so much so So that would be the one key thing I would say. Look at your strengths, look at your skills and your assets and how can you repurpose them to solve someone's problem. Yeah, I, I I really like that. 
and I see the parallel. One one layer that I'd like to put on that is the customer needs to be at the forefront of your thinking right now. Like I would say there's two ways that you can flex this way at the moment. And one is by thinking, what is the outcome that my customers are currently trying to achieve when they interact and use my business, my products, my services? And what's stopping me from doing that now? So in our case, we we, we really focused on some, we knew that customer service was the expectations were, were changing somewhat. Um, the base level of customer service now was safety and health and safety and making sure that COVID wasn't passed on through interactions with a brand, a, a product, a service. Um, we also knew that we couldn't get in front of people. So we repurposed our learning platform to um, contain contain health and safety um, guidance because their needs were changing. So it's it's all right. What what are we trying to achieve? Then one, we can deliver our customer service training in a digital environment. Um, two, our customer needs have changed now because their customer service requirements are now just keeping them safe. So how can we give them tools to fulfil that new? changed need and outcome that's it but with that with having that fundamental understanding of your customers needs that's where you are shown where to adapt where to pivot where where expended energy is going to provide it's less of a gamble let's put it that way if you if you if you're working based on deep customer understanding of needs and outcomes well then you're removing the 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 amount of chance that's associated with just coming up with something that you think think is going to sell, and there we are, right back at the founder problem. Right? Is, is this what comes out in some of your in, in this book? Is that we all have to start thinking like founders? Yes. Very interesting. Hey, I know that we're coming up for time. I can't believe I just looked down at the clock, and we've already been an hour. So um, I know that you're, we've already established you're a very busy man. So before I let you go, and first of all, thank you very much for coming on the show and being so interesting um, and so full of insight. Um, if there's anybody who is um, interested in Product Done or being on your podcast or any of the other many um, enterprises that you're, you're involved in, how, how would it be best to get in contact with you, Sam? Okay, so you can connect with Product Done on productdone.com. And if you have any ideas you want to build, feel free to reach out. Second, if you just want to catch up with me uh, or connect with me or any of the things I'm doing or books I'm writing or podcasts I'm doing, then go to samkamani.com or just look for my name on Spotify, Apple, or any any platform, and you'll find it, or YouTube, or yep, anywhere, and you'll find you'll find me. Brilliant, and um, Sam, we'll put whatever links you think are worthwhile putting in the show notes. So let's link to your um, LinkedIn profile. Let's link to Product Done. Um, we'll sort that out after the show. So once again, thank Great. you very much, and I can't wait till the next time we have a conversation. Likewise. Thank you. It was really, really good to be on your podcast and really enjoyed all the questions you asked me and all the insights and the things that I got to learn from you about CX as well. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're most welcome. Thanks again. 
I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it interesting. Um, as a further sign of gratitude, we'd like to pass on a 30% discount to all listeners um, on the HTO Educate Learning Management System. We, uh, we've, we've launched it recently um, with a base level of um, courses that really focus on helping companies get through this really tough year, um, looking at mental health management, looking at um, managing virtual teams, setting up home offices. There's a, a, a very strong focus on health and safety as well, because we certainly believe that at the moment, your customers, the very base level of customer service that they're expecting is to be safe when they're doing business with you. Um, so, so please have a look um, at the website, see whether it's something that could be of value to you and your teams in a year where it's very difficult to, to find time to train and to refresh skills um, and we'll put the we'll put the address in the notes um, to this episode um, along with the, the discount code which is HTO podcast 30 but yeah that will be in the notes so once again thank you and I look forward to talking with you on the next podcast